from St. Paul's epistle to the Romans, why do y'all pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Morning, friends. By the way, y'all is not really in there. I just made that up. It is second person plural in Greek, so that's why I did it that way. Uh, before I launch into our sermon, uh, there's an old saying that I've used here before. Can you grab that for me, please? Thanks. An old saying before, that I've used before there, that there is nothing like a church fight. There's nothing like a church fight, right? Predestination, ver- you know, there's the classics. Predestination versus election. Real presence versus memorialism. High church, yeah! Low church, Pink or yellow lemonaded coffee hour. But people get stuck on these things, don't they? We get wrapped up in things which really, in the whole scheme of things, don't really matter. They're called, uh, the Greek word is the word adiaphora. It means something which people can differ on in good, in, and still maintain fellowship and brotherhood, right? Now, I'm not saying, what I'm not saying, I'm not saying that there is no such thing as truth. There is. It always amazes me, it always amazes me, and maybe some of you have said this, I hope not, when people say that you have your truth and I have my truth. Oh yeah, well, how do, not, how do you know that's true? Think about it, right? Or the best one is, well, you know, how can we really know for sure? There's no such thing as absolute truth. Oh really, is that absolutely true? See my point? So I'm not saying there's no such thing as truth, because there is, and it starts in Scripture, and it works its way through tradition, the the fathers, and so forth, but Scripture is our benchmark for truth, right? And truth is true whether you like it or not, and sometimes I like them, and sometimes I don't, I'll be honest with you. And here's one that I don't like, but it's true, and we know it experientially and existentially, but it's also biblical too. Here's a truth, ready? That you're a sinner, me too that we're all in this swamp together, we're all in this stew together, and Scripture says that Jesus Christ died on the cross to save you from hell. Take it or leave it, that's your decision, whether you choose to accept that or not, but Scripture makes this truth claim that you and I are sinners in need of a Savior and that Christ offers us that salvation, amen? So, what I'm going to talk about today is not absolute truth claims, but truth claims that Christians can disagree on and still legitimately claim fellowship. Christians can legitimately and biblically argue about, see it from a different perspective, but yet we can still maintain fellowship in the body. Adiaphora is the Greek word, a matter or a thing that is indifferent. And again, adiaphora things, adiaphoric things, are things which are not matters of salvation, but matters of opinion. So that, but the point I want to make today, and this is a big one, is again, to come back to arguing over insignificant, well, it's just insignificant, but non-salvation issues. You know, there is nothing like a church fight, except Portland, Oregon. That's worse than a church fight. I was visiting a, a prisoner last week who grew up in Nazi Germany. He was a, uh, he, was, he, remember, he was telling me, he remembers sitting in a, in a cafe in Bavaria with his parents as a boy, probably, I don't know, 13 years old, 1936 or so right in there. And he said to me, these Antifa people, these anti-fascists, he says, here's the irony of this. These anti-fascists, these Antifa people use the very same tactics as Hitler's famous brown shirts, who were in fact fascists. Don't miss the point, the supreme irony here, that in the name of tolerance, 
these anti-fascists use fascist techniques for those whom they can't tolerate. See my point? And we're going to dial in on this city, this idea of tolerance. Because we throw this word around, man, all the... You, you can't turn on the news without hearing about tolerance. But what does it actually mean? Does it mean anything? And reality is, most times it doesn't. But for the Christian, it does. Because to be truly... Listen, to be truly tolerant, listen. To be truly tolerant in the biblical sense, you must be tolerant with those with whom you don't agree. With those with whom you believe are, I'll say it, intolerant. So how do Christians deal with this arguing? That, you know, we're kind of in a political season, right? So this is a good salient point, for, I think, for us today. How do we deal with this idea of tolerance? Is there a biblical way, a true way, to, to disagree and be biblically tolerant of those with whom we differ? Yes, there is three points. First, we're going to look from Paul's epistle to the Romans today. We have to have a willingness to accept differences of opinion. We have to secondly restrain ourselves from judgment. And then finally, be reminded that Jesus is the master of all. <laughs> that first thing is that we have to be willing to accept that people differ in opinions. That's a biggie. Secondly, we have to learn to restrain ourselves from judgment. I'll get to that in a minute. And then finally, be reminded that Jesus Christ is Lord of it all. You ready? It's the first thing. We have to be reminded, that we have to be willing to accept that people have differences of opinion. Let's go back to the epistle that Paul writes to the Romans today. He's talking about vegetables and meat and food and all sorts of things, which is like, Paul, what, dude, what are you talking about? And, you know, whether some people eat meat and some people eat vegetables, that's an easy one for me. I used to say in college, if you can kill it, I can grill it. But in, back in the day, Paul had Paul, these, this nascent church in Rome. The problem was that there was two different groups of people. There were Jews who had kept these food laws, all the Old Testament stuff, right? You can't eat shellfish or pork or an animal with a cloven, cloven hoof. Or the one that always gets me is you cannot eat a goat, baby goat boiled in its own mother's milk. Why you'd want to do that in the first place, I have no idea. But the, the Jews, these Jewish Christians, had all this food laws that identified who they were. It was part of their, their DNA, part of their worldview. And then there's another group of Christians in the same church that were Gentiles, right? Gentiles were non-Jews, Romans and so forth, that had become Christians. And man, these guys would eat anything. They had no qualms about pork or shrimp or shellfish or anything like that. Pig, oysters, lobster, shrimp cocktail, man, bring it. Gentiles don't care about these things. And so what you see here, I hope you see it, is you've got two people with two really different views of how God works with his people. And what you see is the beginnings and the makings, listen, of a church fight. But the problem is you've got to go, you go down a layer. It's not about shrimp and vegetables, no. It's actually about... It's actually about identity. See, the, the problem is, the problem, this, is, this is, true for, is true for them as it is for us today, that the things we claim to believe in actually go a step deeper, and they actually they reveal our identity. You know, people are, I'll use this word, people are tribal. And what I mean is, there's a the technical term for it in social psychology is in-group. You've got an in-group and an out-group, and your in-group are the people that you identify with, identify with, identify with. And the out group is everybody else, right? It can be vegetables and shrimp. It can be Jews and Gentiles. It can be 
liberal conservative, high church, low church, Democrat, Republican, fill in the blank, man. I don't care. It doesn't matter what it is. What I want you to see is that we all do it. We fall prey. It's just human nature, fallen, fallen human nature. This idea of in-group and out-group sets us in tribes, sets us in, because it reveals our identity. So here's a question I'm going to ask you this morning, and it's, a, it's, a, it's an important one. What is your, what is your tribe? What is, what is the group of people that you actually claim you belong to? Like, pe- who are your peeps, right? Who are the people that you claim that are like you, that, you, that if you have an option to be around people for cocktails or play cards or go golfing or do whatever, that's the guys or girls or women or people you're going to pick. Who is your tribe? Because you'll never get beyond those differences until you know who you are, your identity. And, and actually, Paul knows this very thing. It's why he calls it. He, he names it and he claims it. He says, this is great. Listen to what he says here in verse 3. He says, okay, we've all got these tribes we belong to, our identity. He says, listen, come back to the church at Rome. He says, not do not let the one who eats despise the one who abstains. The one who, who, uh, who eats the Gentiles, eat anything, man. Don't despise those who don't eat out of conscience. And let not the ones who, pa- who abstain, the Jews, pass judgment on the Gentiles. That's two different words. The Greek word for, for despise is the word exoneio. And it means to look down on with contempt, Right? So you, you Roman, you Gentiles who can eat, eat pork and stuff without any kind of qualm, do not despise those who don't. And then he says, you Jews who are, who are who restrained, who abstain, do not pass judgment on those who do. And it's actually, it's two different words. Despise means to look down, pass judgment means to condemn. It's two different things. And the reason I'm saying you that, that is because if you think about it logically, even today, that dichotomy makes perfect sense. I'll give you an example. How about self-styled intellectuals who know better, who look down on those primitive, knuckle-dragging deplorables stuck in the past for whatever reason? Or how about the ones who always look at people that are making mistakes and, want to, the, and who always want to say, those people are just rotten, filthy people. They, they, they pass judgment, right? The point I want to see here is the dynamic that Paul has here, what he describes is exactly the same dynamic that's happening to us today. Some groups claim that we're smarter than those knuckleheads, and the knuckleheads claim, oh yeah, but they're just immoral, irrational, filthy people. You see my point? The point I want you to see here, friends, this is, a, this is critical. If we're going to be tolerant of these differences, we have to know what they are. So here's my, that's my first one. Know who you are. Know your tribe. Know where you differ from others. Name it and know it, because otherwise you can't fix it. And then that's point number two then. Paul reminds us, he says, restrain from judgment on another person. You know, when Kathy and I were living in New Jersey, I was the rector of Trinity Church in Red Bank, you all know that, we became friends with a group of people that were, evan- that were evangelical, non-denominational Christians. Of course, they were, had a denomination, so I never kind of got that part. But they loved Jesus, and they knew all the buzzwords. And they, man, they could quote scripture like nothing. Boom, oh yeah, I've got one for you right here, right? They had all that down, man, fine. But they were the most judgmental people I'd ever met in my life. They were just critical of not, not other Christians, but the culture that we lived in. It was just was kind of off-putting. But then the flip side of it was... I had colleagues in the Episcopal Diocese of New Jersey. Some of them I loved, some of them 
well, some of them not, but uh, some of them were just so the exact opposite. They were just so kooky in every other direction that everything goes, right? I mean, everything goes. There's no restraint. We're all about love, right? You see my point? It's two sides of the same coin. And the, the evangelical non-denoms looked with judgment on the liberal Episcopalians. I don't mean it politically, I mean theologically. The, on, the, on the Episcopalians. And the Episcopalians looked with contempt on these knuckle-dragging literalists, right? My point is, we all do it. And Paul says in verse 4, I love this. He says, who are you? And it's second person plural. Who are y'all? He's talking to the church. For you to pass judgment, judgment on the servant of another. That's important. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? You know, when I was a kid, my mom, I would do something. My mom would say to me, who do you think you are? Ever say that? Yeah. You know what that actually means? What that actually means is, you know, who, what authority are you claiming to exercise? Who, who, who do you think you are? You're asserting an authority you can't do, young man, young lady, whatever. Paul says, who are you as a human being, a fellow sinner, who are you to dare to judge the state of a person's soul? Behaviors. This is an old expression. You ever heard the expression, maybe you haven't, maybe you have, that we as Christians are called to love the sinner but hate the sin. You ever heard that before? Okay, that's not just about other people, by the way. That's about yourself. <laughs> so it's easy to say, oh, love the sinner and hate the sin when it comes to somebody else. Yeah, but that applies to you about your own personhood, right? Do you recognize that you, in fact, are broke? You and I are all broken, fallen, sinful people. We all do self-destructive things. You do it. I do it. Everybody does it. Bob does it. Mary does it. You can love that sinner, whether it's yourself or your husband or your friend or your spouse, but you can, in a sense, hate what they're doing, hate what you're doing. Hey, Bob, you know, and, and, we're, and as Christians, we are called to name this. We're in our own, starting with ourselves, right? We are called to be, to be thoughtful and reflective and repentant, right? And, and it's about our, ourselves and people around us. Hey, 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 Nick, you know, you probably shouldn't be uh, hanging out with that woman who's not your wife, for example, right? We're called as Christians to call that out, not in a condemning way, but because because it's damaging, right? It is unloving. It is unloving not to challenge a person who is acting in a behavior or whatever in a self-destructive manner. It's unloving. But we are called to, we are called to, in a sense, call the sin, hate the sin, but love the sinner. Because friends, we, you and I, are not, we are forbidden from judging to evaluate the state of another person's soul. And if you think about it even logically for a second, if you kind of get out of your own, at least for myself, you know, you get out of your own head and be reminded that, you know, you're, you're really no better, nor am I. We're all sinners. Paul says this, who are, you, who, do you, who are you to dare to judge another person's soul? You all will stand, me too, before the, before the, the judgment seat of our Lord. Each of us will give an account of ourselves to God, Paul reminds us. Let me give you some advice that a priest once gave to me. I found this super helpful. If you don't, don't sweat it. I found this helpful. Friend, a priest friend of mine, my spiritual director way back in seminary, once said, you know, if you're going to preach about sin and redemption, you've got to see sin as an illness. I love that image. It's true, right? You've got to see sin as an illness, a terminal illness for that matter, an illness which all of us have. We are all fallen people. And this sin is more contagious than COVID-19 because it's 100%. 
We are all infected. And he, and he said to me, if you realize sin is not aha, but oh man, I, I, I'm with you. It'll change the way you think about yourself. It'll change the way you think about other people. Scripture says all of us are sinners and all of us fall short of the glory of God. Not some, not most, all of us, including me. And if that's true, and it is, it means that you and I, friends, if we're going to be tolerant, the way you do it is you recognize that we are all in this journey of life together. We all suffer from the same illness of sin and brokenness and distance from God and those around us. There's an old expression, you know, Everybody's got something. And I'll tell you, as a parish priest, that is 100% true. Everybody's got something. And even Paul says this back in Romans 7, 21. Paul says about himself, he's reflecting on his own brokenness, his own shortcomings. He says, look, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil's close at hand. Listen to these words. Romans 7, 21. Paul says, for I delight in the law of God. I want to do the right thing. But I see in my body another law waging against the law of my mind and making me captive the law of sin that dwells in my body. Paraphrase Paul simply is, you know what, no matter how hard you try, it's there. I blow it. We're all sinners. And so I think the second point of being tolerant is, A, recognize that we're different. We all wrestle with different things. And secondly, we've all got the same illness. We've all got the same sickness. But there's a solution, and that's my third point, that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. See, as Christians, you and I as brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ, we live in, in two worlds at once, right? We live on this earthly world which is bro broken and fallen, and so are we. But we also live in the kingdom of God. We hear about this kingdom of God a lot. What does that mean? Well, it's actually something which will be but is not yet. But while we wait for Christ to return and set the world to right, we live in this broken world as residents of the kingdom of God. We live differently because we know that Christ is coming back and he will set us free. And we know that Jesus is Lord and he will come again and he will judge. Not me, not you. It's up to him. For friends, we will all stand before the seat of God. So what does that have to do with tolerance? To wrap up here, well, plenty. See, Christian tolerance is not Christian tolerance is not forcing someone to believe what we want them to believe by calling them names, bigot, racist, anarchist. Come on, that's what the culture says. No, 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 man, that's what our culture does. Because for them, tolerance is a is force. Tolerance is an attempt to change someone. No, Christian tolerance is not patronizing code word to silence those with whom we disagree. No. Christian tolerance is simply this, a recognition that we are all in this life together. We may disagree on non-essentials, and we do disagree on non-essentials, but Christian tolerance recognizes one thing, that we are all accountable to the same master. We are all accountable to the same king, and his name is Jesus. Paul says in Romans 14, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. In other words, just recognize, man, we're here together. We're on the same ship. That Christian tolerance is simply this. On matters indifferent, we can disagree. We can disagree and still love and respect each other, whether it's politics or religion or whatever. 
because we are brothers and sisters in Christ, all under the same master. And his name is Jesus. He'll sort it all out. Don't worry. He will judge. Don't worry about it. He doesn't need you to fix it. He's got this. But friends, what he's requiring us to do today is to live in charity and tolerance and love for one another. Because here's the deal, right? If we as Christians cannot live in true tolerance with one another, who can? Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your word which challenges us and comforts us. Help us to remember that we are all sinners. We are all in the same boat. We all suffer from the same illness. And that some things just aren't worth fighting over. Help us, Lord, to be truly loving to one another. Help us, Lord, to be reminded that you, in fact, are our master and king. Help us, Lord, to be reminded to bear one another's burdens as we wait for Christ to come back and put the world to rights. In his name we pray. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.